I get an email once a week from Rick Warren. No, we're not close personal friends. He doesn't even know who I am. I'm just on a mailing list that Pastor Rick Warren sends out to pastors around the world. Uh, resources and, and encouragements to help other pastors as, as we minister. There are some pastors in this world that I absolutely will not allow to influence me. And there are a few, a few who I consider to be godly men. They are leaders who teach me the word of God, and I'm encouraged by the good that's coming from their lives. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Pastor Rick wrote this this week. He says, Chances are your church family believes that the COVID-19 pandemic is their greatest source of stress, fear, and anxiety right now. And it makes sense. After all, normal life has changed dramatically in the last two months, and it continues to change. These beliefs, however, they're only a symptom. They're not the real issue. The real problem is that Christians who are drowning in worry, fear, and stress have lost their focus on the goodness of God and his perfect plan for their lives. Christians who are drowning in worry, fear, and stress, have lost their focus on the goodness of God and his perfect plan for their lives. Is he describing you? Are, are you struggling right now? Have you lost focus on God's goodness and his perfect plan for your life? I know it's been a battle for me. It has been a battle. I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm not afraid of catching COVID, but I am tired and I am not encouraged and I need to carefully guard the state of my own mental health otherwise I might find myself being tempted by soup this morning I want to reassure you that the life you've chosen in Christ is the very best life possible this morning, the writer of Hebrews wants to reassure you that the life you've chosen in Christ is the very best life possible. This morning, God, your heavenly Father, the one who rules the universe, he wants to reassure you that the life you've chosen in Christ, it really is the very best life possible. This morning, that's the message of the book of Hebrews, the whole book, that Jesus is better. The book has spent 10 chapters just exalting Jesus, just magnifying him and lifting him up, reminding us of how precious and pure and amazing, how incredible Jesus is. That's the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. And chapter 11 encouraged us by reminding us about all these people in human history who discovered that same secret, that a life of faith in Jesus Christ a life of pursuing and following after the things of God is just the best life possible. And then in chapter 12, we dealt with this whole idea specifically that all of us still face difficulties in this life. All of us still have problems. So this life is the very best life possible? Yes, it is. Because even in our problems, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And we know that God is disciplining us like children that he loves. He's through our trials, through our, our difficult times, he's actually making us into better people. He's actually making this life better, okay? And, and, and then as we, we continue to live in this Christ, Pastor Darren reminded us this last week, we don't shrink back, we don't second guess, we don't turn around, we, we persevere, we press on. 
we press on, we struggle through because Mount Zion is just so much better a destination than Mount Sinai. The birthright that, that you have as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, it is just so much better than anything else this life can offer. It is better than Jacob's lentil soup. The life that you have in Jesus is the very best life possible. And now we come to the final chapter of Hebrews. And I love how theologian Tom Wright puts it. He says, here in the closing chapter of one of the greatest documents of early Christianity, we find sex and power and money and suffering and Jesus. And Jesus. And, and what is more, Jesus is the one who makes sense out of everything else. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The writer wants us to realize that if our faith is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, then none of the forces that blow other people off the rocks and into the newspaper need to harm you. End quote. So the writer of Hebrews is, is wrapping up her thesis, the final points, the last encouragements. Let's see what God's word has to say to, to you and I today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Continue to love each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Can we just take a moment to realize how bizarre this instruction must have sounded on those first century ears? I mean, think about it for a moment, okay? These people, in following Jesus, had turned their backs on so much. They had turned their backs on generations and generations of the Jewish religion. They had turned their backs on the authority of their local Jewish religious leaders who had declared that Jesus was a heretic. They had turned their backs even on their own families who had disowned them for their faith in Jesus. They had given up so much to follow Jesus. And added into all of that was this persecution that was coming from the outside, the persecutions that they were about to face from their government, thrown in prison, attacked by wild animals, set on fire, it says in Hebrews 11. Nobody was on their side. Everybody was a potential enemy, someone who could potentially harm them. Everybody. And God says to them, Show hospitality to strangers. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Open up your home. Make yourself vulnerable to, to people that you don't even know. Stranger danger. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. You see, this very best life that we have in Jesus, one of the things that marks it is our hospitality to strangers. It's demonstrated by this love that we have for others, even people we don't know, even people who might potentially be dangerous to us. Now, I've been your pastor at Bridgeway for three years now, and, and in those three years, I have tried to systematically dismantle a certain kind of rationale. I have tried to give you a better example, even in my own life, and I've even mocked the kind of evangelical Christian garbage that tends to think of this life, as, as, as this Christian life, as, as, a, as an enclave that we need to build. We need to build big walls so that the world can't get in 
this escapist mentality amongst Christianity where we will only drink milk from a Christian cow and eat chick, uh, eggs that come from Christian chickens. I have tried to over and over show you that this is just not the way that we're supposed to live. This separation approach that thinks that sin is like some disease that we could catch like COVID if we don't have our spiritual face masks on and social distance from the lepers and, and the sinners and the sick, right? You better not hang out with some sinner who likes the taste of beer. Otherwise, your kids are going to wind up drinking beer, taking drugs, listening to death metal music, and stabbing you to death at four in the morning. Stay away from them. It's Christian fear-mongering. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stay away from people who do all those things. Oh, you might catch something. I don't drink or smoke or chew or hang around with girls who do. Funny thing is, the Bible says the complete opposite of that. Don't forget. Don't get sidetracked. Don't overlook the importance of showing hospitality to strangers. You need to invite them over to your house. You need to cook them something. You need to have them over and make them something to eat. And I, and I don't mean Brussels sprouts either. I mean real food, okay? Marinate your best steak and give that to them, unless they're vegans. Now, maybe you've done some reading or you've taken a class or two somewhere along the lines and, and, and you realize that when churches get real serious about reaching out, they usually adopt one of two kinds of approaches. When churches get serious about reaching out. Now, honestly, some churches are simply not serious about reaching out. We already talked about that, right? Some churches just want to circle the wagons and they want to have a little safe place where 50 or 60 or people of them can, can all meet together in order to be safe from the world. And they, they want to create programs and things that they like that will hopefully keep their kids. They don't want their kids moving off to the big city. They, they want to keep all of this in this little kind of closed circle. And those churches are going to die. They're not doing what God is asking them to do, God has no reason to keep them open. In fact, I wonder if this pandemic is God doing some of that. Missiologists are estimating that one quarter of the churches in North America are going to close their doors for good in the next six months. They're going to close for good. I have a son who's going to a church and he's not sure that his church is going to survive because... They have this mentality, they have this idea that they need to be safe from the world instead of impacting the world. The churches who do try to reach out, kind of like, okay, yeah, God says that we're supposed to make disciples, so I guess that means we have to reach the non-believers. They either look at one of two approaches. They either tend to, to, to go towards attractional ministry or, or they go towards a missional kind of a ministry. And, and some try and do a bit of both. Ed Stetzer writes a lot about this and uh, most of what he writes is wrong, but that's okay, I still love Ed. Attractional ministry has this idea about it. Uh, if you build it, 
they will come. If you, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, it's a line that's stolen from a movie, from like 25-year-old movie about dead baseball players. But, I mean, us Christians were nuts anyways, right? Attractional churches build great facilities. They build beautiful places to worship. The best hardwood floor gym in town. Our sanctuary seats the most people in the most comfortable setting. Our sound system costs more than a university education, which is what you need to run it. We We hire the best speakers in the province. Our pastor is the best preacher in our community. Our youth pastor has the best games and he's the best discipler. We sing the latest modern music with the best musicians out there. And if you come to our church, you will be impressed with our church. I mean, even the bathrooms, heated seats, automatic flushing, bells, lights, and whistles. Come to our building and you'll be impressed with it. Attractional ministry. Now, the trouble with these kind of churches is they usually only attract other Christians. And the other problem is that that Sunday worship service becomes the show, the key event of the week. Everything is geared up around what happens on Sunday. And everything that happens on Sunday has to be perfect. It has to be attractional. And they teach people to be consumers. The average Christian sits in a pew or a padded chair and evaluates everything that's going on by one criteria. Do I like it? Attractional churches don't make disciples. Missional churches focus on disciple making. They teach their people, hey, you are a disciple of Christ. You are the one that Christ wants to live his life through. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and your best life is lived by following Jesus. You are an integral, important part of the church. Church is not what happens on Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12 o'clock. Church is what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Church is not church when it's the church gathered. Church is more importantly the church when it is the church scattered. You need to go into your places, your neighborhoods, your places of work, your your relatives. You need to be the one. You don't bring them to church. You bring the church to them. You don't don't bring them to, to where the pastor can preach the gospel and get them saved. You preach the gospel to them. You preach it both with how you live and what you say. You are the church. You go meet your neighbors. You reach out to your co-workers. You invite them into your home. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Jesus lives his best life through you. You live your best life in him. And the only way that other people see you living your best life in Jesus is if they see you living your best life in Jesus. They're not going to see that on Sunday mornings. We can all put on a tie and fake it on Sunday mornings an hour and a half once a week. No, they're going to see that in the hockey rink when you sit with them 
They're going to they're gonna see that when you invite them out for coffee together at Urban Ground. They're going to see that when, when you go on a double date to a movie at a movie theater. No, don't go to a movie theater. Yeah, go to a movie theater. Bring Jesus with you. They're going to see that when you play a round of golf together at Elmwood. Other than when you slice it off into the rough, they might not see it temporarily. They'll see it. Your best life in Jesus is marked by hospitality, so do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. See, people are not really looking for a, a good attractional show on a Sunday morning. They're, they're just not looking for that. They're looking for a real relationship with the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. You can show them that as you choose that in your own life. He really is better. He really is. Let's show him to them. Man, we're halfway through our sermon. I'm only on verse three. Okay, quickly. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Okay, so if we focus on just looking nice, attractional ministry, some people will come. Some people will come. If we build nice facilities, it'll have an effect. And every missional church is got a little bit of attractional ministry as well. Uh, but, but really, honestly, if we build a nice church, people come. That's not happening right now, right? Like the only people here right now are Pastor Darren, Pastor Nick, Carrie, Dave, and, and I think Jordy is here somewhere as well. Like there's so few of us gathered on a Sunday morning that we each can have our own stall in the bathroom, okay? So attractional churches are having a really hard time right now. We can't get together. I think that's why some churches who focus on attractional ministry are, are, are really kind of at this point where they're, they're going to disobey their own governments. They're going to disobey their instructions. They're going to put their people at risk in order to continue to have the show on Sunday. We're not going to do that. Attractional churches are having a hard time right now, but missional churches, they're thriving. People that are bringing Jesus to their neighbors encouraging one another over the telephone or Zoom conferences, bringing meals to each other. Here in Saskatchewan, we're moving into a, a slowly opening up our phase. Uh, in two weeks, we're at June 8th, we're going to be into, into phase three, and that means gatherings of 15 people. And, and we're going to be talking about life groups and, and how we can get smaller groupings of you guys together to, to share life together and, and to continue to just be the church as we're scattered. Because missional churches are thriving right now. So let's be that. Let's be incarnational. Let's have people over. Let's go to them. And let's especially go to the ones who cannot come to us. Prison ministry. Prison ministry. Oh, man. That's such a weird thing, right? Like some of us have been to prison and done it once or twice. Some of us really love doing it. Usually when we think of prison ministry, it's that guy with no hair and a guitar, eight little kids all dressed exactly the same, singing songs from the 70s through their noses. What a friend we have. You know, like that's not even a Christianity that most of us want. It's just, it's just not. But, but it's okay for prisoners. No. No, no. Let, let's all be missional. Let's all commit ourselves to going out to going to the people that can't come to us. Let's, let's commit ourselves to going to visit prisons. 
We don't have a prison here in Swift Current, but there's other ways we can go. Let's get involved in soup kitchens. Let's volunteer at the center. Let's be part of the Refugee Association, welcoming people from other countries. Let's take the community part of our name, Bridgeway Community Church, let's take the community part seriously. Remember those in prison. Remember those who are being mistreated. This is an important part of our hospitality. Now, the second thing we see in Hebrews 13 uh, about this better life that we have in Christ is that it is a life that is marked uh, by contentment. Verses 4 and 5 say, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Verse 5, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has promised, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. Okay, so there's like two kind of dangers that we need to watch out for as we're living this excellent life in Jesus Christ. There are two pits, uh, two ditches on either side of the road, if you will, sex and money. There's these things that can derail us so quickly. First off, sex, be content with the person that you're married to. Spend a lot of time loving them. Make your spouse more important than your kids, okay? I hear this from a lot of people. It drives me nuts. My kids are the most important thing in the world to me. Okay, that's wrong. That's wrong in Christianity. That is taking something that God has given to you as a blessing and turning it into an idol that you're worshiping. Your kids are not the most important thing in the world. First off, they're not your kids, They've simply been lent to you for a period of time by God. They're God's kids. And second of all, your spouse matters more than your kids. The most important gift you can give to your kids is to love Jesus. The second most important gift you can give to your kids is to love their mom or to love their dad. And now I know some of you are divorced or second marriages. It gets complicated, and that's why I love God's grace because his spirit is going to show you what that looks like in your own life. But I want to say this. Your marriage matters. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Never stop courting your spouse. Ladies, buy lacy things and wear them. Never stop letting your husband know that he is the greatest man who ever lived as far as you're concerned. You would choose him over Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is a good-looking man. Men, buy flowers, write cards, whatever it takes. Figure out her love language and get fluent in it. Stroke her hair and tell her how soft and beautiful it is, even if it is growing on her legs, okay? And any time, any time that anyone starts sniffing around your goods, run, run, run back to your spouse. Give her everything of you. Don't ever let that be something that you give away to anyone else. Be content with your spouse. Delight in each other. Give honor to the marriage bed. It's an important element of your best life in Jesus. It's so important we're going to spend four weeks talking about marriage to have and to hold when we're done in the book of Hebrews. And then money, oh goodness, we're all just a little scared about money right now, right? This whole COVID thing, this whole shutdown of their economy, it's just, it's messing up our finances. We never planned for this and some of us are really starting to get worried about it and, and I get that, I get that because trusting in God is so much more difficult than trusting in money. It's just, it just is, 
And it is hard to remember that God has spent the last 6,000 years of human history looking after people who follow him who don't have a retirement plan. God just does that. Seek him first and his righteousness. And all these material, monetary things, you're going to have enough. He'll look after you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Boy, learning to trust God with our money is so difficult. You need to be smart with your money. But the biggest way to be smart with your money is simply to learn to live on less of it. Like be content. Contentment. Don't love money. You know, when you read the Old Testament, like there's two false gods, two idols that show up again and again throughout the Old Testament. They always have trouble with, right? Baal and Asherah. Right? You, you read the Old Testament, you know those names. They're familiar to you. Baal is, he's the storm god, the false god of, of rain, right? He, he's worshipped as the god of the harvest, the god who provides money. And, and, and Asherah, Asherah is the fertility goddess, right? Babies and, and fertility, trees and vines and prostitution and things like that. Sex. Baal, money, Asherah, sex. Things haven't really changed all that much in 4,000 years. Like seriously, back then, money and sex were false gods. And today, same thing. We, we got to be so careful because our society worships both of those. We have to be so careful not to worship Baal and Asherah in 2020. We have a better life in Jesus. We have a better God. When you really follow Jesus, he's better than anything else. And if you follow him, it leads to a better life. It's a life that's marked by hospitality. It's a life that's marked by contentment. And thirdly, it is a life that is marked by faithfulness. Look at verse 6. This is why we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, and so I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sheila started out our worship service with that encouragement, that reminder, right? Can we just remember for a moment that the Christians who first heard the words of this book, the, the, the people who were the first recipients of this, of this book of Hebrews, they were experiencing severe financial hardship. Many of them were forced to give up property and, and personal wealth. Many of them were cut off from their families. They had things confiscated from them. They were cut off from their support structures. Many of them were undergoing severe financial hardship, far worse than any of us are. And in this context, the writer reminds them of a truth that is so easy to forget. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, if you're somewhere out there in internet land and, and you, you're hearing this sermon and you're going, what can mere mortals do to me? You're going, wait a second. Mere people can kill you. Your oppressors can take your life, kill your cattle, burn your crops, destroy your home, kill you and your family. 
Remember my leaders who taught me the word of God? Like, like my New Living Translation actually takes the sting out of these words because it actually is a euphemism. It refers to death. Remember your leaders who died for the faith. The outcome of their faith was death. They, they are like the men and women of Hebrews chapter 11. They've joined the ranks of, of the martyrs of the faith. They've given their life for the gospel of Jesus. Remember them and follow their example in death. And I'm not going to soften this for you. I'm not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ... If you truly do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the true King of heaven, that he came to this earth as a human being, that in his incarnation he lived a life that was without sin, qualifying him to become the perfect sacrifice for you. If you believe in his death and his resurrection and the new life that he's offered you in his name, if you believe all of that, then this world is not your home. This is not your true residence. And all the blessings of this comfortable Christian life that God has given you right here in Swift Current, all of it is a potential blinder to the true life that you're supposed to be living now and that's waiting for you in eternity. This world is not your home. This life is not your life whether you're as rich as Bill Gates or as poor as someone living in the slums, this world offers at the end death. And this life, whether you live 30 years or 95 years, this life ends in death. This blessing and this health and this prosperity and this beauty and this pandemic and this fear and this, this sense through all of it that maybe life has no meaning. It's, it's all just purposeless. All of this life is, it's all really just a rehearsal for the life that's coming. Your true life. The one that you're, God is preparing for you right now. You've got this amazing life ahead of you. And it's only going to get better after you die. So don't give up that birthright for soup. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what Jesus wants from you right now is right now. He, he, wants, he wants today. He wants this struggle that you're going through. He wants this anxiety that you're facing. He wants this sin that you're struggling with. He wants this blessing that you're rejoicing in. He wants this hope that gets you up in the morning. This peace that comforts and guards your soul. This day, he wants right now all of you. George Guthrie writes, every day, every day, God wants you. In areas of life such as marriage and money, the worlds of the spirit and the worlds of the street meet. And such meeting places become either dance floors on which we dance to the music of his will or they become this stage of games on which we play at Christianity with dichotomized hypocritical hearts. Every day, every day, 
God wants you, and he wants you to want him in the nitty-gritty wonder, the plain and exalted dance of every day. End quote. This life is lived best when it's lived in Jesus. He really is better. And the life that he offers both now and in eternity, it is the best life possible. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for soup. Choose a better life in Jesus. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. Twelve chapters in the book of Hebrews. Believe, believe, believe in Jesus. And the final chapter, follow. Follow. Allow it to affect your life. Allow it to fill your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak love through your life. To speak it out at home with your spouse. To speak it out with your kids. To speak it out in public and at work, wherever you go. It has to be more than believing. It has to be life change. It has to be real. In every area. Follow. Follow him. Let's pray together as we close our service. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've given us more than just a belief. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus came and died for us to give us new life. Not to give us a better version of our old life, but to give us new life. And Lord, my prayer for myself and my family, my life, and my church family, is that we would live this new life. Not take our old lives and just repaint it a little bit to shine it up. To live this new life. And Lord, if, if there's ways in my heart that I've been believing in Jesus, but not living that belief, then Lord, reveal that to me. Reveal it to our church. Lord, get into our hearts. Teach us what it means to live out our faith in love. Lord, you've called us to be a light in a dark place. You've called us to be a light on a hilltop. You've called us, Lord, to reflect you to this world. To live holy lives, Lord, that point people to you. So that when they see our good deeds, they'll know it comes from our Father in heaven. So, Lord, invade our space. Invade our personal lives. and Invade our dark places that we don't like to share with you. Lord, get into the messy places with us. 
and teach us what it means to live with Jesus, not just believe in him. Make that the mission of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.